It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. With me today, Matt Hawkins, Founder and Managing Partner at Entourage Effect Capital. Matt, thanks for being with us at The Talking Hedge. You bet. Thanks for having me, Josh. So uh, Entourage Effect Capital, you guys are investing in companies with a growth stage focus, although that's not only what you do, but focus on growth stage uh, and position to scale ahead of federal legalization. So if we get into the way, way back machine, maybe you can tell us about your investment objectives and strategies and how that's adjusted over the last few years. Sure. Um, I like to say that we, as a, as a firm, we have matured with the industry in terms of kind of where we're investing, like what life cycle of the, of the, of the, uh, of the company, you know, the, the sector, um, because when we started this in 14, there was really only startups that were available to us. Um, and right now we have the ability to invest in companies that are a lot more mature because simply of the, where we are with, from a industry growth perspective. I mean, you, you've got companies now that are, you know, that you can actually put a multiple on EBITDA, for example, to, to, to value these companies. Um, and, Back then, you couldn't do that because it was all startup. So let's dive into maybe some specifics of some companies you've invested over time. Um, it, I think it'd be fun to tell me if you would invest today, <laughs> if you had a chance to do it over again. Uh, pulling out a couple of companies, they happen to both be tech companies. One is MJ Freeway. The other is BDS Analytics. Um, I really like BDS Analytics because I like data. I like diving into it. I like seeing what other companies like Headset are doing. Um, and really kind of pushing the the industry forward in terms of um, knowing the unknown. MJ Freeways had its own um, issues uh, as it, all of the competitors in that space have had their own um, difficulties in trying to get seed to sale, trace and tracking implemented uh, in every single state. It doesn't seem like there's been a clean rollout whatsoever. Um, and so some of I believe some of your uh, investments were plant touching companies. Um, were those the the most um, interesting or is the tech kind of more normalized? Uh, pulling out those two examples of MJ Freeway, BDS Analytics, do you still like those investments? Where do you see them going? And how does that work uh, in terms of your overall portfolio? Sure. So um, recognize we're investing out of our third fund now. So uh, So fund one, had a, like I said earlier, a, a very early stage footprint to it. Uh, but we also got in very early with a lot of the multi-state operators when they're still private. Uh, we just, you know, we were one of the few games in town for uh, investing in not only ancillary companies, but plant touching uh, businesses. We, were, we weren't afraid to do that back in 2014. And that obviously was, we were big beneficiaries of that to, generate the returns that we did in fund one that, that were, you know, fantastic. Uh, and then in fund two, we started doing more, uh, you know, a lot, still, still plant touching, um, single state operations, a little bit of a California focus, but we did a lot of ancillary plays too, that included some of the technology plays that you, uh, that you referenced. I would say now in fund three, it's really all about building scale within as many sectors as we can in advance of something happening legislatively, whether it's say banking, 
um, you know, some type of a quasi legalization at the federal level. Um, but all of that is we want to build that scale and advance of institutional capital coming into the game because that's what we're all waiting for. And it's what we need. It's what the, the, the you know, the, the industry can't survive on the few capital providers that are in place, us included, uh, to support this, you know, 30, 40, 50 billion dollar domestic industry. It's just, it's just not sustainable the way it is. I mean, these companies can continue to grow, you know, step by step, but if they had access to some real firepower uh, from, you know, institutional capital's liquidity, uh, we, this would be a different conversation we'd be having. So uh, we're just trying to get to that point and, and generate the returns from that uh, to the benefit of our shareholders. Is, has there been uh, an example? Because I think um, practice doesn't make perfect, failure does. Is there an example that you can give to where you learned a lot from something that didn't work out? Uh, maybe you want to give the name, maybe you don't, but I'm sure there's an example of an investment that didn't go right, but that you are appreciative of because of what you learned. Is there any example well, that you can give? Yeah, I mean, look, we're a venture capital firm. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, even though we're investing in later stage deals now, at the end of the day, this is still a nascent industry. Mm -hmm. And so by that very, and the fact that it's federally illegal, you know, just makes it a, uh, a venture capital type risk reward uh, uh, investment opportunity. So having said that, of course, there are going to be deals that don't work out. Um, you know, venture capital deals, I mean, if you, you know, look at their portfolios, it's usually one or two companies that, that make up the entire return of their portfolio. Um, luckily, that's not the case with us, but of course, we're going to have uh, some missteps. I think the, the biggest mistake that, that we've made to date that we don't do anymore is we, we spend in an inordinate amount of time underwriting the management teams and making sure that they have track records of success and everything they've done thus far. Um, I would say a couple of times in the, you know, the heat of the moment back when, you know, we were in the, the heydays of 16 and 17, I can't remember which those were the, <laughs> when it was starting to get bad, but it's been bad for a while now, but it's, uh, but those days, you know, there were a couple of times where we, probably didn't spend as much time underwriting the management team as we should have and just fell in love with the concept, fell in love with the company. Um, and that came back to bite us in the ass. And so that, that ain't going to happen again. That sounds a lot like a uh, Mark Cuban's Voyager crypto Ponzi scheme. He got into probably didn't do his due diligence. And so have you ramped up your due diligence? Is that essentially what, what you've like? Yeah, we never, we never really ramped it down. It's just, I would say that we got comfortable with, uh, with management before we, um, you know, do some of the things we do now. And mm -hmm. uh, I'll leave it at that. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some of the, the financial makeup in the industry and how that's kind of evolved over time as well. Like most notably the debt issuances currently at 55% of total capital raised. And that trend line is around 70% of cannabis capital raises. Why is debt at its highest in history? Um, well, there's two reasons, I think. One is that uh, it's, it's one of the only games in town, mm. and you can utilize your, your real estate asset base to, to take in these loans. Now, granted, the most of them were pretty high yield, um, but they're, they're there. Uh, secondly, operators are not as 
aren't want to take aren't wanting to take equity capital at this point because valuations have come way down. Mm. So uh, the valuations are squarely in the favor of capital now. And even, but you, you know, you're you're even seeing some of these real estate lenders that are getting warrants too. So they're benefiting. They're dipping, you know, their toes in the water on the on the debt side, but they're also getting some participation in warrants. Um, that's why we're lucky in that we've been in this business for as long as we have, because we can create our own deals. I mean, we we know everybody in the industry that we that we really feel like we we need to know, and if we don't know them, we can get introduced to them pretty quick, like. Mm. Um, so as a result, we, you know, and because of our, you know, the strength of our portfolio, people, you know, want us in their capital stack, which is a, which is a, uh, I'm very, very proud of that. And because we, because of our, our reputation does precede us, that that is something that you can't ever, um, you know, you can't, you can't discount that. And, uh, and being able to, to have that kind of deal flow and to create your own opportunities in a, in an environment like this is, is absolutely paramount. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that it's the only game in town. Would you say that there's FOMO and there's investors willing to take anything they can get? No, not at all. In fact, I would say quite the contrary. It, it is it, there, there's, there's private capital that's available and it's, and a lot of these uh, capital aggregators on the real estate side, are having some success raising that capital because they're not really touching the plant. And so they can get access to some other investors who may be more willing to do that, take a, you know, a nice yield from that and <clears throat> not have the risk of investing directly in a, something that's federally illegal. Um, whereas, cause you're still not seeing, I mean, this isn't bank, <clears throat> excuse me, bank lending that's going on right now. This is private capital lending that's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's the same problem we have as equity investors and the deals is that we, there's still just a limited universe of people that we can raise our capital from. Um, there is, you know, starting to get more, uh, there is, there's more interest being generated. I think the family office level than there ever has been, but you know, the macroeconomic climate that we're in right now outside of cannabis isn't helping matters either. So there's just a lot, there's a lot of, while there's on one hand, there's a lot of uh, tailwinds for the industry. I think regulatorily, you're starting to kind of feel that a little bit. There's still significant headwinds when it comes to capital. Mm -hmm. Looking at the, the the secondary market, the public side, there's a lot of retail investors trying to, to get in on, on the speculation, but it moves mostly with the news. It's momentum. That's right. Stocks. That's exactly right. And, it's, and it doesn't help matters because mm -hmm. what, you know, retail investors like to get in and out. Um, and you've got thinly traded, <clears throat> low liquidity uh, exchanges that are involved right now. And until we can get up listed into the U.S. exchanges, the, the main ones, the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange, we're going to have this problem. And <clears throat> that's going to require you know, legislative change and being able to bring in institutional capital. And then we're off to the races. So we're just we're we don't think it's that far away. It's likely in the hold period of our of our most recent two funds. And so we're just trying to do what we can to, to position ourselves for when that happens. I'm taking a poll, Matt. So I got to ask you the, the question I'm asking everybody, what is it going to take for these individual equities to move independently from the, the news? How are they going to look at either the fundamentals of, of these individual companies rather mm -hmm. than lumping them all into the same industry? 
you, you got to have a different type of investor. Mm-hmm. And you just do. You got to have you got to have institutional investors that are that are not scared to go through the the peaks and valleys that we go through as an industry right now. Uh, retail investors they don't like that. They see a loss. It's like shit. I got to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And so they take their loss and they move on. Um, so that that to me is 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 the biggest issue. You know, putting consecutive quarters together one after the other isn't gonna help. Isn't gonna hurt either. So I would say that you know, especially the you know the the, the not the top tier MSOs. I mean, they need to do it too, but they're up, they're a little bit. Some of those are, are it's easier for them, but the the large single state operators, the, you know, the smaller multi-state operators, they need to do the same thing. The sell side analysts, they started to reduce their revenue estimates for EBITDA margins for 2023. Do you think they factored in the margin pressures from declining wholesale prices coupled with the higher energy and fertilizer nutrient and other input costs? Um, You know, I would, I would hope so, but my guess is they probably didn't. Um, but there's a, look, there's, as I mentioned a second ago, the macroeconomic issues, uh, are very, very real for cannabis, just like they are for, uh, you know, for other industries. So it's, um, it's going to have an impact one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, SPACs have been interesting. Those IPOs fell uh, way out of favor, but real estate has been a beneficiary of, of sector rotation in 2022. The Polaris equity fund, for example, they're just trucking along like 1% per month or whatever, which uh, a lot of folks would probably love to have right now as they're probably looking at, you know, negative 15 to 30% in their portfolio. Which cannabis subsectors are you still seeing attracting equity capital? Well, there's not many. I mean, like I said, we're, we're, we, don't, we don't pay attention to what others are doing. I mean, we, we really have our focus on what our pipeline is. We have our focus on which sectors we want to focus on. We have which, you know, which companies we think we want to, you know, help build scale around. And that's our focus. Um, it, we really, it really doesn't, I, I don't, I'm not looking at the other in, investment firms to say, hey, what are you in right now? We need to get in on that. I mean, that's, we don't have that kind of, I mean, you said FOMO, I'll, I'll use a FOMO here too. We don't, we don't <clears throat> that's not how we operate. So I, we still are very, very bullish on getting in at these valuations and as many sectors as we can mm. investing in the leaders of those sectors. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at um, some of the distressed assets, I can only imagine that the M&A activity is going to pick up substantially. Um, are you seeing that the West Coast or or the um, legacy markets versus the the more emerging markets on the East Coast are, are more prone for M&A? Or do they have first mover advantages to take advantage of the acquisition? Yeah, I think that, um, let's just talk about California for a second. I think, <clears throat> you know, we have, we made some progress with the uh, cultivation tax going away, but there's still, it's still a regulatory morass in California. And until something changes legislatively in the state, it's going to continue to be that way. It's just too hard to, to operate a cannabis company in the state. And it drives me absolutely crazy when, you know, Sacramento continues to act this way, when if they would just be smart and reduce the tax burden on the legalized companies, they would auto, almost automatically convert uh, companies from the illicit mar- or users from the, li- the buyers from the illicit market into the legalized one. They just, and they'd make more money. 
in the state. It just makes no sense to me whatsoever, but uh, that's politics. And, um, and some of that's going on at the federal level too. I would say that there's going to be, but to answer your question more specifically, yes, there's going to be a lot of M&A activity in California. A lot of it's going to be distress related. Um, you're seeing signs of that already with some of the bigger players. Um, you know, we're, we're fortunate that, that we've, you know, we executed our, our three-way merger at state house, um, and raised some capital around that. Uh, you know, our stock price isn't anywhere near what it should be, but that's okay because we're not, we're not selling and, you know, we're, we're in this for the long haul. So. Um, we're certainly going to be acquisitive as we go forward at state house. Um, but you know, there's still a lot of wood to chop in that state and, and, and it, we're no different at state house. Mm -hmm. The year to date, uh, merger and acquisition volume is down, uh, over 79% from 2021. Do you have any insights as to why? Um, companies holding on for dear life because they don't want to be bought or sold for the, the you know, the, the, the bid ask spread is too high right now. I mean, it's like, and, and until it gets, you know, absolutely 100% dire straight ridden, uh, it's probably gonna continue to be that way. Um, people are looking for bargains right now. And the people and the companies that don't think they're a bargain, but maybe really are, are probably kidding themselves. But that's, that's my take on it. What's your take on the Hexo Tilray M&A? Is that going to be the equivalent of um, AOL and Time Warner? They thought that, that was going to be creative. <laughs> they thought that was going to be a great deal. Uh, and it is absolutely yeah. Is Are these two zombies holding I, each I, other up? I, I Look, we pay such little attention to the uh, Canadian markets because it's just mm -hmm. not our focus. I mean, we all know that the the... the the California market is bigger than the entire Canadian market. So it's, it's just, it's, and it's, um, we just don't see that as an investment opportunity. Um, I mean, look how much money Canopy is spending on a monthly basis. I don't even know if they're going to be a viable company mm -hmm. um, before it's all said and done. So uh, there's just, I mean, it, it's going to get uglier and uglier in Canada. And, um, you know, I wish it weren't the case, but it is. Mm -hmm. What do you try and avoid at all costs? Um, are you avoiding Oklahoma and all of their licenses, Florida and the potential for mildew and mold? Are you avoiding flower no. catching companies? What are you avoiding? What, what, what industries or sectors or regions are you staying away from? Um, well, I mean, that, that's a, that's a tough one to, to, to answer because as, because I've been consistent saying that you know, there isn't a sector that we don't, you know, that we, that if we can find the right operator in the, in a, that is already large enough that needs help to build scale from a capitalization standpoint, I mean, we want to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't, it could, it could be anything, any sector that's, or any, or any region that's out there. I will say this. A lot of our fund three uh, focus has been on single state operators across, you know, the the Midwest and even the Southeast and even in the in the Northeast that are looking to expand into other states via other licensing opportunities they have. Um, that's attractive to us, uh, but we still, by the same token, we you know we invested in a uh, you know uh, Hound Labs, which is the uh, 
the only uh, market available THC breathalyzer that exists right now. And so, you know, that's a, that was a step out for us a little bit, but we, but we saw everything, everything that we saw, we liked. And so we decided to do it. Um, everything else has been, like I said, scale driven opportunities in fund three. All right, Matt, what advice do you have for a company out there looking to raise capital uh, and they don't know if they're going to look for an angel investor or, you know, private equity, VC, whatever, what advice do you have for somebody who's just starting out? Well, um, are you, just to clarify, for someone that's, that's starting a new company? They, they have a company, or... they have revenues, and they're just starting okay. their, their uh, just starting like the process. A. Of, yeah, just starting the process of raising okay. capital. Um, you know, uh, I always say it's, it, you know, there's nothing wrong with going to all the, you know, the cannabis funds that are out there. I would, I always say it's so much better to do the legwork on the front end to try to get a warm introduction to those firms. I mean, we're all, we all see an inordinate amount of deals, you know, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Um, if you just send us all, you know, messages via LinkedIn that they, they, they go into file 13. So you got to do your legwork to see if there's a way that, I mean, use LinkedIn for what it is, which is see if there's a common connection and reach out to those people to see if they actually really do, you know, know the investor. Um, that's so much better than, than trying to come in cold. So warm, trying to get warm intros is, is the first thing. The second thing is if you have a friend or a family member that, that can truly be an angel for you, that's the best thing to do because mm -hmm. uh, with valuations the way they are, you know, someone that you know that has a pocketbook that can help you, you know, grow your business. That that that's by far and away the best thing to do, because uh, it's not easy to raise money right now at all in cannabis, mm -hmm. and so uh, it's going to be that way for the foreseeable future. Unfortunately, when when a deck comes through and you see it, and there's some crazy arbitrary valuation, like Pax had a four hundred twenty million dollar valuation. Is that something you try to negotiate, or do you just see it and say next? Is there room for negotiation, on, essentially? If people put something in there you don't like, is it the end of the conversation or is there wiggle room for negotiation? Well, it depends on if we're looking to, if they're looking to us to lead the round. If they, if they haven't raised any capital yet, that's their ask. Well, of course, we're going to negotiate it mm -hmm. because there isn't, I mean, we're, we're in the driver's seat. There's not much capital out there and we have capital. Mm -hmm. And um, so, of course, we're going to negotiate that. But if some other group or investor put in money already and they're looking to round out their raise, it's just a pass for us because we can't negotiate that if we think the valuation is, is, is crazy. Mm. So it just depends on, you know, where we are in the, in the, in the process, where we, where, where, where we are considered to be in the capital stack, et cetera. Mm. What about the the requirements for consideration? If somebody comes in with uh, with pre revenue, they're not making any money. Is that even in consideration at this point? It, it again, it just depends on the deal. Um, we are doing much, most of our deals are later stage. Uh, we do, you know, we own over fifty percent of the Arcview Group, and so they do have a you know, venture capital investing arm that we uh, invest alongside uh, unpromoted. So we do funnel most of our early stage stuff through that. Um, but when we invested in Hound Labs, it was pre-revenue. But that was a, what we thought was a game-changing opportunity. Mm. 
Okay. What about the crystal ball? What kind of opportunities are going to be out in the cannabis industry in 2023 and beyond? Is there anything you want to share about uh, the future? Yeah, there's just going to be continued consolidation, uh, con- continued consolidation, continued separation from, you know, the men from the boys, et cetera, et cetera. All those, all those, you know, analogies you can use because it's, it's real, it's happening. Um, the way the current construct is doesn't benefit mom and pop license holders anywhere. And, um, you know, if, and if we're not careful, if we don't separate, when we're all for social equity, don't get me wrong, but if we don't start to separate the business issues from social equity and legislate both at the same time, or at least have them go down similar paths, just mm-hmm. quit trying to put them together, mm-hmm. um, we're going to continue to have some you know, headbutting on why can't we get this done? Why can't we get this done? And it's, um, and it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. But that's politics for you. So you said there's going to be a lot of consolidation, but the M&A volume is down significantly. So people are kind of on the sidelines. They don't want to get bought out at maybe lower valuations or they don't know what to do. And so what what's going to be the difference between the, the lack of M&A? Well, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It, it's 2023. It's right around the corner. And these companies are still burning cash. At some point, that cash is going to get so dire that they're not going to have a choice. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that's that's what's going to happen. Is that when things get to the point to where okay we 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 can't raise any more money and you know it's basically a fire sale yeah. and that's going to happen. It just it absolutely is. Yeah, I'm with you 100 percent on that one. Uh, we've covered a lot, Matt. Is there anything else you want to um, you want to cover at this point? I don't think so. Enjoy talking to you. If people want to learn more, uh, whether it's um, other institutional investors that, that want to add to the uh, asset center management, or if it's somebody who has the, the next greatest unicorn idea and they want to get a hold of you, uh, where are you at? How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, just mhawkins at eecpartners.com. And obviously, you can go to our website at eecpartners.com and learn more about us. Um, and I'm happy to, to uh, engage. And you're going to be speaking at MJ BizCon on the, uh, I think, 16th of November. Um, uh, in I believe Las that's Vegas. right. You're going to be on a panel with a whole bunch of other folks. So should be really interesting yep. to listen to. Uh, so if they're in Vegas, they can check that out as well. So we're going to put the links yeah, in the we'll show be in, we'll, Yeah, we'll, we'll be in Benzinga too uh, uh, next month. So we're excited about all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the 14th of September in Chicago, mm-hmm. maybe. Yep, that's right. Okay. Good deal. Um, so yeah, we'll put the uh, links in the show notes for uh, entourageeffectcapital.com as well as Matt's LinkedIn connection. You can bug him uh, all you want. So I think with that, <laughs> roll this one up. So I want to thank my guest, Matt Hawkins, uh, founder, managing partner at Entourage Effect Capital. Matt, thanks again for being with us at The Talking Hedge. You bet, Josh. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like 
their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.